welcome to the Elevate Live podcast channel. We hope this sermon encourages and inspires you so you can go and grow to your next level. For more information about our church, please visit our website, elevate.life. Enjoy the message. Put your hand over your heart. If you're new with us, uh, the words are on the screen. We just like to make some declarations before we start because what comes out of your mouth is what's going to happen in your life. Put an amen on that. I am who God says I am, a child of God, the righteousness of God. I am the apple of God's eye. I am God's workmanship created for good works, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Today, I open up my mind to receive the word of God so I can think like God, be like God, and do life the way God intended for me to live. Let's lift up holy hands. Say this with me. Come, Holy Spirit, help me elevate my thinking so I can elevate my life in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, give God a big hand. Welcome, McKinney. So glad you guys are here with us, and thank you guys for being here. And you know, we have been in this supernatural series, How to Live the Supernatural Life. This is part five, and I want to talk to you about mastering your mindset. Mastering your mindset. Let's jump right to the scripture, Matthew, the sixth chapter. Do not store up for yourselves material treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. I want to stop right here and say this. I grew up in church and there was a, a doctrine based on what people said was a theology. A theology means Godology or God's way of thinking. That somehow there was a doctrine, there was a teaching, that's what doctrine means. There was a teaching that came out of this, this Godology, this theology that, that the Bible uh, doesn't want you to have material things. That the Bible doesn't want you to have a savings account that the Bible doesn't want you to have a retirement account. So, so anyway, and, and that actually uh, started a long time ago, and we're going to talk about some of that today, but this is not what God was saying. So you say, well, how do you know? Well, let's, let's look at what he says next. For where your treasure is, there your heart, your wishes, your desires, on which your life centers will be also. So what Jesus is trying to show us is that, that don't make your focus on the things of this world. Don't make your, make your focus on just your house, your car, your needs, your food, and what supplies your needs according to your riches and glory. God says, I will supply all of your needs according to my riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Good news today, God wants to supply your needs. And he can supply your needs, but you've got to make him God in your life, first in your life for him to be able to do that. So the Bible goes on to say this, Jesus is speaking and he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is clear, spiritually perceptive, your whole body will be full of life and benefiting from God's precepts. But if your eye is bad, that means that you're spiritually blind. You don't, you, you don't necessarily hear 
and understand and take action on the Word of God. You might hear the Word of God, but you don't take action. Or maybe you've never known the Word of God, so you're spiritually blind. In all of those scenarios I just mentioned, there's spiritual blindness that's involved. You're spiritually blind if you hear the Word and you don't do it. Somebody put an amen. Because it, it, it doesn't matter if you hear it, you're not, being, you're not bringing it from hearing it to seeing it and then saying it. And so what's important for us to understand is that, that Jesus in this teaching, he goes to our eyes, he goes to our senses. Your senses are very important. God gives you your ears, not just to hear in the natural, but to hear in the supernatural. He gives you your smell, not just to smell in the natural, but to, to, for you to know what smells right in the supernatural. He gives you your eyes to see. He gives you your ability to taste and to feel. In fact, the Bible goes on to say this. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. So everybody just put your hand on your heart right now and just say, help me, Lord. Don't allow my five senses to block your supernatural from happening in my life. Fill up my senses. Hey, that could be a song. You fill up my senses. Anyway, too often times we allow what we can hear that somebody else says, or even what we're saying to ourselves, or even what the enemy of our soul says to override what he says. Sometimes the loudest voice, whether you realize it or not, is your voice and what you say about yourself and what you feel about yourself, maybe based on what your dad didn't say or what your dad did say or what your mom said or what somebody else said. But the loudest two voices in your life, listen very carefully, can be by default your voice and the devil's voice. When you are negative and you let it come out of your mouth, you are repeating what the devil has said. Doesn't get much stronger than that, does it? It's very true. So Jesus takes us to the eyes and he says, I want you to understand your eyes, the lamp of your whole body. So if you're focused, everybody say focused. If you're focused right, if you're focused on the word, if you're focused on God's kingdom, if you're focused on the things of God, then your mindset can be right. If you're not, your mindset is not right. So the title of this message is mastering, master, him being the master, your mindset. So he goes on to say this. So if the very light inside your inner self, your heart, your consciousness, or your conscience is dark, how great and terrible the darkness. So he's trying to just give us language that we can all understand. In other words, I don't see things the way they are. I see things the way I am. I don't see my, day, my friend David Long for who he is positively or negatively in my life. I see my friend David Long the way I see. I don't see my wife. I don't see my husband in your case maybe or my children the way they really are. I see them through the prism of the way I am. And the enemy's goal is to get enough bad on the inside of you based on what you let in with your ears through your eye gate through what you feel, through what you do, so that it gets on the inside of you so that you cannot see things like God sees. You see the worst when the worst is displayed. 
Part of God's supernatural is to give you an ability to see the best when the worst is displayed. So God wants to supernaturalize you. Come on, somebody put an amen on that. He wants your life to be supernatural. So then all of a sudden Jesus switches gears and listen to this, how the conversation goes. No one can serve two masters for either he will hate one and love the other or he will be devoted one or despise the other. So, you know, people are listening going, okay. And then all of a sudden he drops the J bomb. The J bomb is the Jesus bomb. He says, you cannot serve God and mammon, money, possessions, fame, status, whatever is valued that you put before God. You cannot serve both God and mammon for you will hate one and love the other. No man can serve two masters. So I wanna talk to you about mastering your mindset in particularly as it relates to money and the spirit of money. You may not realize this, but Jesus says that money has a spirit. And you're either operating right now, whether you're born again, spirit-filled, how long you've been in church or not, you're either operating under the spirit of mammon or you're operating under the spirit of God. Watch this now, based on the priority of your money. It's a big deal. And so when we talk about mastering your mindset, how many of you would be honest enough in front of God and everybody to say, you know, in my life, money is pretty important. Let me just see your hands. Now, if you didn't raise your hand on this, it's because you're poor. So I'm gonna ask you one more time. How many of you think money's relatively important? You don't get gas without it. You don't get clothes without it. I mean, it's important. That's why Jesus addresses it. And he starts off by, talk, by saying, hey, don't store, he didn't mention money. He said, don't store up for yourselves treasures and what he's saying that bring about moth and rust. In other words, don't focus on the wrong things, but rather focus on your heavenly treasures, storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Because here's the thing about your heart, all the love songs, I've never heard one that got it right. All the love songs that you love. Some of y'all are in love with love. That's why you have a hard time loving that person you're with. Because you're in love with love and they don't love like you're in love with love. But that's because some of us are under a myth about love. And you know what the myth about love is? Follow your heart. Well, you'll just follow it right off a cliff is what you'll do. And right in the arms of the wrong person. And some people marry the wrong people because they followed their heart. And my question is, who taught you that? What book did you read that in? That's the world's way. What does Jesus say about the heart? Whatever you decide, watch this, based on your focus, here's what's important to me, then a mindset that develops around what's important to me, my heart will follow what I decide. And that's why there is no such thing, really hear me, as falling in love with somebody and out of love with somebody. I know I'm messing with some of y'all's love stuff right now. But there is no such thing. You do not fall in love because if you can fall in love, you can fall out of love. Here's what you do. You focus on somebody. You get a mindset about them. You think that your life is better with or without them. And as long as your life is better with them, in other words, they do more of what you like and what you want than what you don't like and what you don't want, then you can live with them. That's pretty real. It ain't about... 
Mother Teresa didn't go, hey, y'all, I just want you to know I'm over here in Calcutta. And uh, I don't have nothing that's my own. Uh, and and I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about myself because I could have had this. And in the business world, I would have been very successful. Uh, corporations would have loved to have somebody like me with my smile, my beauty. And, but I've just given my life. She never said that. She just did what she did. She loved people. And so we have a tendency to put those people on a pedestal because we think, wow, that's amazing because they chose to be poor. And somehow in a poverty mentality, people actually think they score points with God if they give it all away. Welcome to the church world. Let's, let's talk about a poverty mindset just for a second. One of my dear friends, uh, Robert Morris, who pastors uh, Gateway Church, and it's a great church. And again, if you're a church hopper, I suggest that be the next one that you try. And, <laughs> and if you're not getting fed here and you're one of those people that say, I need to get fed, you'll get fed over there. And anyway, uh, I could go on and on, uh, but that they have a great church. He wrote a book recently called uh, Beyond Blessed, and I cite some of this, this historical information from his book, and I just wanted you to know that. In a very real sense, the church was born on the day of Pentecost around A.D. 30. About 150 years later, the early church father, Tertullian, was writing favorable things about Egyptian Christians who had gained a reputation because they had renounced their claim to earthly possessions and they headed into the Egyptian desert and they lived in caves. And so Tertullian, one of our, again, church fathers began to write about that. So these people have given up everything and they're living in caves in Egypt. Church historians agree that the uh, monast, how did you say it, Josh? Monast, monastic, thank you, son. I, I have Pastor Sheila who is, has her, uh, education in um, elementary education and learning disabilities. She helps me. And then I have Josh, who's just brilliant. So, uh, so how do you say the word again? Monastic. Thank you, son. So monastic, where was I? Tradition among Christians were born in Egypt around that time. So today in the Egyptian deserts, there are sprinkled ancient remnants of monasteries and enclaves of those cave dwelling Christians and there are still a few active monasteries out there to this day. Now, about a thousand years later, Francis of Assisi. And again, I love Francis of Assisi. And again, much of the Catholic faith and Catholic tradition is based on a Franciscan way of doing things. And so that's why many Catholic priests uh, in the tradition of Catholicism, but more than that, in the tradition of Franciscanism, in the tradition of Francis of Assisi, have taken a vow of poverty. I have it. And I won't. Well, so let's continue on. See, and that's what people think. They think preachers ought to be poor and they're okay with a preacher as long as he has a dollar less than them. But listen, after about a thousand years, Francis Assisi took the theology of asceticism to the next level. He taught that it was actually a virtue to be poor. This is still in our culture, especially in the church world. Francis ultimately founded the monastery Manas, huh? Now you've got him confusing me because he's saying it through his, what is it, son? Monastic, thank you. Sounds like some kind of cancer. Monastic. Or is that Masatic? 
Be healed in the name of Jesus. Okay, so ultimately founded the monastic order that bears his name. And to this day, joining the Franciscans requires taking a vow of poverty. This mindset is rooted in the assumption that material possessions are inherently evil and at least their ability to captivate us is so seductive and powerful that it's impossible to own anything without being corrupted by it. This belief isn't too far removed from the ancient heresy called Gnosticism, which is a dualistic philosophy, meaning that it held all, that all matter was evil and that only the spirit was good. Of course, this led Gnostics to reject the claim that Jesus was simultaneously both God and man, and in their view, he couldn't be because matter is evil. Now, I'm not suggesting that Francis and his followers are agnostics, but I am suggesting that if you fall prey to a poverty mindset, it is not a long leap to Gnosticism from where you're standing. Martin Luther, the medieval priest, who became the father of the Protestant Revolution, was ultimately delivered from a poverty mindset. After first entering the priesthood, Luther dove headfirst into asceticism, subjecting himself to severe discipline, even whipping himself to abstain from things which were taught as evil. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. Okay, so that's how some people do. They punish themselves. They might not take a whip, but this is real stuff and still happens today, by the way. He soon realized that this was ineffective because his bottom got sore. No, it doesn't say that. <laughs> Moved from the monastery and began to grow in his knowledge of God and his word. Eventually, Luther would write, listen very carefully now. If silver and gold are things evil in themselves, then those who keep away from them deserve to be praised. But if they are good creatures of God, which we can both use for the needs of our neighbor and for the glory of God, is not a person silly Yes, even unthankful to God if he re refrains from them as if they were evil. Another aspect of this mindset is the elevation of the world's poor to sort of a saintly, saintly status. And again, I'm not criticizing. I'm saying this is real. Like, like the Catholic Church in particular, they make saints of people who are poor. Mother Teresa is one of those people. It's not that to, to, to say that she didn't do great work for God because she did. But just listen. This isn't mere concern or compassion for the poor, which every believer should exhibit, and everybody said. This is an extension of Francis of Assisi's religious exaltation of poverty as a holy virtue. It's one thing to believe that a poor person can be virtuous, of course. But it's another thing to consider someone virtuous because they're poor or because they choose to have less. And then they inspire you to have less because Somehow they score points with God because they think, well, I'm giving this up for God. God didn't give you things to give them up to him so you could be more holy to him. He gave you all things for you to enjoy, all things for you to bless other people with, not things for you to sacrifice yourself with and think somehow that makes you more spiritual than everybody else and is able to judge everybody else. Somebody put an amen on that. I'm just teaching y'all the truth. Today, many Christians have absorbed some, if not all of the ascetic assumption that there's a virtue in somehow being poor. In other words, that you get points from God by not having things or by, having, by choosing to have less things. The implied flip side of this belief is that you lose points with God if you accumulate any wealth. It's a ditch. 
It's a poverty mentality to think this way. So Jesus, is a lot of, there's, there's a lot of Christians who are conflicted with this and they're conflicted with wealth and they're conflicted with what they should do for God. And I can remember, buddy and Vicky, when I was uh, growing up, like there was, um, we, we would go to church camp and you guys might remember this. All the people that feel a call to ministry come forward. And so all the, all the children and young people that felt a call from God to do ministry went forward. And guess what we all thought? They were more spiritual than everybody else. But I'm gonna tell you something. People who are business people, like my friend Sean sitting on the second row, he's just as spiritual as I am. He operates in the kingdom on a business level and we need people that operate in the kingdom on a business level. He's been a pastor, now he's a business person along with his wife and so he's bringing the provision for the vision but he's part of a bigger vision, not just more spiritual because he's somehow in a ministry, occupational ministry role. Come on, put an amen on that. So again, I'm not more spiritual than you. I'm just functioning in my calling and in my grace, just like you need to, and being faithful to God for what he's put me on the earth to do. But it doesn't make me more holy, listen to me now, if I have less money or more money. It's a mentality about money. So I'm not more holy because I have less, and neither are you. And neither is the Catholic priest down the road or anybody else. But you see, it's not just a poverty mentality. There's another mentality. Take a look at your notes. And under the spirit of mammon, it's a materialism spirit. It's the love of money and things. The spirit of materialism, by the way, same spirit, just different side of the coin. So one thinks I'm more spiritual because I don't, I've given up everything. The other side of the coin says, I'm better than you because I have more than you. So here's what a spirit of materialism says. I have more, so that means I'm more important than people who have less. Can I tell you that people who have money without God think that? And that's some of the problem in our world. Some of our problem in the world with people who have less, look at people who have more and their thought. Now watch this, follow me very clearly now. Their thought is that person thinks they're better than me. And the only, the only thought process with that is because even if that comes out of their mouth or that's in their heart, what they haven't dealt with is a spirit of mammon in themselves. Because why would somebody think that somebody that had more than them made them more important than them because the person that doesn't have it thinks they would be more important if they did have it. Are you getting what I'm saying? I'm just teaching you the truth. And the Bible says you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. So a spirit of mammon is not about having less and a spirit of mammon is not just about having more, it's both. It's thinking that you're more important because you have less or you're more important because you have more. And so guess what money people do in churches? Not this one, but in churches. They stir up all kind of problems because they think with their money, they can tell the preacher, the pastor, what he needs to do because they've got more than him. And so they're gonna take their money and go play with their marbles somewhere else if the pastor doesn't do what they say. Let me tell you something, that's a spirit of mammon and the enemy of your soul will destroy your marriage and your life when you think like that. And that's, listen, I grew up in church. I know this spirit very well. Buddy, you know what I'm talking about too. 
So again, materialism, what does it say? I have, I have more than you, so I'm more important than you. Watch this. The spirit of materialism says, I have more, so I'll be more happy. There's hardly one person in here that doesn't think if I had more money, I'd be more happy. Almost every person here would think that on some level. And that's why it's a very fine line to think, listen, if you're not happy with what you got right now, let me give you a revelation. You will never be happy with more. Let me say that again. If you're not happy with what you got right now, you will never be happy with more. It'll never be enough. Oh, wait. Do you think I'm talking about money? No, I was talking about her. See, I'm not up here today to talk about money. I'm up here to talk about mindsets. That's why the best marriages aren't marriages where I need more from you. The best marriages are when I come to a recognition that I need more from you, it puts more of a demand on me to give more to you. You'll be divorced, guaranteed, 100%. If you get on the side of a mindset that says, I need more from you and you're not satisfying that, and there's got to be somebody else. And there is until you mess them up by going and being with them. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. I feel good. Materialism says, if I have more money, I'll be more happy. Materialism says, I deserve more because I work hard. And at the end, the end game for people who are materialistic is the more I have, the more I deserve. And by the way, the person with the biggest house and the nicest cars has proven that they are better than everybody else and they're more successful than everybody else. Here's the fuel of, of materialism. Not long ago, I read the results of a research study that estimated that by the age of 20, everybody say 20, the average American young person has already been exposed to over one million commercial messages. Now this don't even include digital media. Sponsored ads coming through, you gotta have this. Over a million commercial messages by the time a, a child becomes 20 years old and becomes a young adult, the vast majority of these messages have been crafted to deliver one or more of the spirit of materialism's numerous seductive lies. And here's some of the lies that you've been told, that I've been told, that, that I've believed and that you've believed. Here's what the lies are. First, you need more. You deserve more. Oh, did I say I was talking about money? No, see, that's what people start thinking in their marriage too because it's a mindset. I deserve to be happy. Who ever said that somebody else was supposed to make you happy? So if somebody, if you don't give somebody permission to make you happy, why should you give them permission to make you sad? By the way, there's going to come a day where each one of us stand before God and as wonderful as precious is, I'd like to have her next to me because I know God would, he would treat me different. Like if Sheila... If Sheila was with me, he'd be going, hey, with me, it's like, you made it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, I did. I, I did. 
I, I knew a lot about you. I, I know you did. And uh, I, cover, I covered a lot, a lot for you. Yeah, I, yes, you did, Lord. Yes, you did. But you know, you know, Keith, you put me first. And because you put me first, you put me in a position to cover you. But if Sheila was standing there, it'd be like, hey, precious, go on in. I go, no, not yet. Just, I just stay here with me. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? Come on. Y'all know, one of you in the relationship knows. It's not a male or female thing. One of you knows exactly what I'm saying. If you ever start to think in your mind, I deserve more than this, you're under a spirit of mammon and it has nothing to do with money. The spirit of mammon's goal is to make you ungrateful and to make you dishonor other people. And if he can make that happen, he will have your money in his control. Because if you're not grateful for what you have, you'll never be grateful for more. And yet you think by getting more, you'll be more happy. And if you're not grateful for what you have, you'll never feel honored by God and you'll never honor. My kids still to this day, and I know they're maturing and they're growing up, they still have no idea how good they've had it. They have no idea. And I know they're maturing and I'm saying this and forgive me if I'm wrong, but I'm just telling you, I know they don't. So when people come outside our family and they marry these people (laughs) and they look at the family and they go, and it's just like, like, you know, when you buy a house, parents, I'm going to talk to you for a minute. You buy a house, like who gets what room? Who gets what room? If you've never had a room, you'll take whatever room you got. How many of y'all with me? If you've been homeless, it's not like, why did they get the bigger room? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I always, listen to this mentality, I always get less. Mm-mm. And you know what? No matter how much you ever get, it'll never be enough because you've decided in a mindset, I'm always going to get less than everybody else. So guess what? I, guess how I fixed that in my family? Mother, you're probably watching. So I'm going to tell you something in front of God and everybody. I know Bruce was your favorite. I know he was. I know he was. And hey, did I ever complain about it? Was I always good with it? I sure was. Because guess what? He's my favorite too. So I'm happy that you had somebody that could love you like you needed to be loved. But guess what? I've done pretty good, Mom. And you know how I've done good? Because I've always honored you no matter what. It was never about, Mom, the way you made me feel about me or Dad, what y'all did for me. Somewhere along the way, God helped me go, that's your parents. Be grateful for them. And everything that you get from them, just honor them and respect them. And God, you helped me do that. So, Mom, here's what I want to say. I was okay with it. And you need to be okay with it, too. Because let me tell you something. I live with this person. Oh, this person on the front row. The one they call Precious. The Precious One with capital letters that I call the Precious One. In case 
I don't already know this. There is a sign in our kitchen, Steve, that says, I am God's favorite. (laughs) And you know what? I'm okay with it because I've got a scripture rod that she doesn't have in the Bible. That's just for me. She doesn't have this, nor does any woman here. I'm sorry, but that's the way it is. He that findeth a good woman findeth a good thing and obtains favor with the Lord. Ladies, I don't know why you didn't get a scripture, but you're just going to have to deal with that sucker you're married to. But here's what I'm telling you. She might be God's favorite, but I've got his favor because she is his favorite. Come on, y'all. Here's my point. Listen. You'll never feel like you're less when you know you're God's son and you're God's daughter and you don't compare yourself to other people. But I am God's chosen son for such a time as this. And God, if it was just you and me, I give you the praise. I give you the glory. I give you the honor. And I am not less. I am more because of you. Come on, church. Don't live under that spirit. All right. Last thing, don't just deal with the spirit of mammon. What's the spirit of mammon? Poverty, thinking you're better because you have less or that somehow you're more spiritual or holy because you have less and dealing with the spirit of materialism because you've got more that you're more important than other people because you're not. Both are under the spirit of mammon. But here's the second and last thing. Develop a kingdom growth mindset. Not just a kingdom mindset, but a growth mindset. A kingdom growth mindset. As for the rich in this present world, how many of y'all who live in the fastest growing city in America, who live in what Forbes, Time, and Money have called the best place to live in the United States, that means in the world, how many of you feel like that you're the most blessed people on the face of the earth, that you get to live anywhere around Frisco, Texas? Listen, let me just say something. You might be going through some tough stuff today. But when you get, this is immutable, when you get with the right people, come on, in the right place, at the right time, the right things will always happen. And it may not be happening for you right now, but I'm going to tell you something, Sean. You have a lot better chance for it to happen here than you did at Eureka Springs, Arkansas. Or wherever the heck you were. Where were you? Camden, even worse. Anyway... Do you realize that God has chosen you for such a time as this? If you're anywhere remotely in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, God has blessed you in such a time as this and live in one of the greatest places on the planet at this time. You might be struggling, but if you've got a toilet, if you've got water, if you've got shoes on your feet, if you've got enough to get you your next meal, you're some of the most blessed people on the face of the earth. Lift up your head. Acknowledge God. Thank Him for what what you got. Don't get focused on what you don't have. As for the rich in the present world, so this is my job. Instruct them not to be conceited or arrogant, nor set their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly and ceaselessly provides us with everything What does he provide us with? Everything for our enjoyment. 
instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, willing to share with others. In this way, they are storing up for themselves the enduring riches of a good foundation for the future that they may take hold of, which is truly life. Come on, (sighs) y'all. Come on, y'all receive that? (sighs) Many of you know this story and I won't tell it for another week. But I've so wanted to get this in you and I close with this. When little Sheila and I were 23, I sat her down, I said, this is my philosophy when it comes to money. We revisited that recently. I put it on Instagram and listen to this. So Sheila, I'm teaching on my financial rules, our financial rules. When we were 23, what did I tell you? You told me that you wanted us to only live on 70% of our income, that we were gonna take the 30%, so 10% of that 30%, 10% would be that we would first fruit and give 10% to God. The other 10% would be that we would seek to go over and above by giving that 10% uh, to God over and above our tithes and offerings. And then the other 10% is we were going to save that money. So that's how we've lived our lives since we were 23 years old. I'm 59. She's about to turn 59. And these rules work. And so it's more about margins than it is about budgets. When you get your margins right, your budgets will work. Thanks for making this work, Sheila. Awesome. God bless you guys. So listen very carefully to what I'm going to tell you. And I'm going to leave you with this. God is not a God of budgets. God doesn't care how much you have. God is a God of margins. And I want to challenge you in this family, just like I've raised my family. My kids now live with this same mentality. To think margins to decide our life is not going to be based on how much income we have that will be the determinant factor of what our budget is. Our margins that we decide to set are gonna determine what our budget is in any given season. Because guess what? Your income or your job or your business can change. Your margins need never change then what happens when you have a business failure? What happens when you have something that goes south? You cut cost. Why? To live within your margins. So many Americans are buying stuff they don't need to impress people they don't care about. So listen very carefully what I'm gonna tell you. And again, I ask for your permission You gave me permission, most of you, you're still here, thank you for being here, to speak to you as a spiritual father. Let me just tell you, for 36 years, what has worked. The 70-30 rule. Creating financial margin and then adjusting our life in any season to live within those margins, no matter what. So, on Instagram, and if you're on Instagram, I invite you to follow me. I'm not trying to get followers. We've never bought followers. I'm gonna try, we don't try to follow me, follow you, follow back, follow back. I just wanna help people. So if that resonates with you, go follow me. If it didn't help, with, help you, unfollow me. But I wanna help you. So on Instagram, when I posted this, rule number two, right now my kids have in their possession 
21 rules for money, how we do money as a family. I'm going to make those available to the whole church very soon, shortly. But it's not about my money rules. It's about you having money rules. You see, every family has money rules. They're just more by default than by design. And therefore, if your money rules are not written out, they're by default. And eventually, here's what you'll find out. Your money rules won't work if you don't align them with the word of God. So when Sheila and I were first married, as you saw, I told her we weren't gonna live on more than 70% of our income. Your money doesn't need a budget as much as you need to live by margins. God is a God of margins. That's why he said, give me the first 10th. I say the first dollar of every 10, but God says the first 10th. So the first 10th of your first fruits, your increases, give me the first of the first. Don't pay your house payment and then give me a tenth. This is where a lot of Christians have it wrong. They think, well, as long as I give God a tenth. No, no, no. God wants the first dollar of every ten. But what if I don't have enough after I pay my bills? Cut cost. Let me say something stronger. Go without food. Do whatever you have to do to make sure that you honor God so that you're not playing God in your life and being your own provision. God didn't say you shall supply all your needs according to your riches and your needs. He said, I will supply all of your needs according to my riches in glory in Christ Jesus. If you do it my way, it might be tough to make an adjustment, but do it my way. So we were 23, first year of our marriage. I sit down and I begin to articulate my money rules to her. I said, we're always gonna put God first, always, no matter what. I said, secondly, we're gonna create financial margin. We're gonna live by the 70-30 rule, principle. I asked her if she would agree with me to never live on more than 70% of our income. She agreed. And, and, and we have not only done that, but now we live on 35% of our income. And my goal is to live on less and less and less. And someday maybe God will bless me to be like J.C. Penney and to live on 10% and give the rest of it away. That's my personal goal. But to create margin in our life, I was making 16,000 a year when I told her that. $16,000 a year. I explained to her why we would put God first because we weren't giving to God when we tithed, we were returning to him what he says was, was his. And the first fruit of every, of, every, of every $10 was a dollar and she agreed. I said, we'd seek to be generous people by giving over and above our tithe. And the goal in the future would be to give as much or even more than 10% of our income on top of the 10% that was God's. So again, just think 20% for God's work. She agreed. We were 23. We, and then I said, the last 10% will put back a minimum of 10% of our income towards our retirement that we would never touch no matter what. And she agreed. Living by rule number one, Always put God first. Rule number two, creating financial margin, particularly the 70-30 rule. We became cash millionaires when we were 40 years of age. That was before I started this church. In fact, one of the ways I was able to start this church and Rod Bilhauer, who sat on the second row was in that meeting, is that there were about 23 of us. And to start the church, I put the first $50,000 in. And I said, I think we're gonna need about 200, 250,000 to get this thing started. And with a group of about 23 people, we were able to raise $250,000 
in one month to start this church. Now that was a supernatural, the dream offering for sure. But my point is, if I didn't have these rules in place and if I wasn't stewarding my money well, I wouldn't have had $50,000 to start this church. And 19 years later, you wouldn't be sitting in these seats. So when I'm talking to you about this, I'm speaking to you about your future. Not based on what's happening in your life today, but based on what you're deciding today that's gonna determine what's gonna happen in your future. So, now, the money in our retirement is where we became millionaires. By the way, uh, we've never touched that money. And I wrote this very, very forthrightly. I said, the supposed conservative instruments, that means for those of you that know anything about uh, investing, the risk level being five or less, and most of the time between a two and a three when it comes to my retirement, uh, I thought that was gonna be an awesome thing and we'd have stellar results, but it has been very disappointing to be very honest, and yet we've increased, but not at the level I would, would have expected with a very low level in our retirement in terms of risk level. My plan has weathered every storm since 1983, including the 80s high interest era. Some of you will remember this. I've lived a long time. The 90s dot-com dot debacle. How many of you remember the 90s? I, I lost in one day $187,000. And I thought it was kind of safe. But when everything crashed, I, with a lot of other people, lost a lot of money. But I didn't lose at all. That wasn't my retirement, by the way. That was my investment. That's for another time. So my plan has weathered every storm since 1983, 80s high interest rate, 90s.com debacle, the subsequent mortgage upheaval and financial collapse of America from 27 to 2012, notwithstanding, and here's what happened. I'm asking God, I'm praying, okay, what do I need to do with what's going on? I mean, the world is crashing. And so I moved my safe retirement funds to a more fail-safe fund to hedge against inflation, to hedge against what was happening in the markets with proven entities. And then the entities that backed that fail-safe entity went bankrupt for the first time in American history, the New York Bank. The Bank of New York, 110-year-old bank. All of that to say, in spite of the uncontrollables, God has helped me control what I could control. One last thing about margins. When you live by margins, budgets work. If you do not live by margins, eventually your budget will be subject to your income and your outgo, which will and can change anytime. Margins never change. Therefore, your budget becomes subject to your margins this is the secret of financial success. Most people are never taught what I'm teaching you right now. Not by a financial planner. They're not taught this. You know why? Because they don't know this. God is a God of margins. Some of you have not set your margins. Your takeaway today is to talk about margins with your spouse and to decide today, we're never gonna live on more than this percentage. For us, it was 70%. And Sheila can tell you as a witness, We've done that. But also the margin of 10%. God doesn't care about how much money you give him. 
Let me say that again. God doesn't care about how much money you give him. He just says, return the tenth of everything you get because that first dollar of every tenth is mine. You can keep it if you want to, but you're not living the way I want you to live. And I can't open the windows of heaven over your life and pour out blessings on your life unless you do that. God gives us his plan for financial success. Okay, then, then the rest of the margins are up to you. Because here's what God says in Malachi 3. You haven't just robbed me in tithes, putting me first, but you've also robbed me in offerings. You're not giving offerings. So what I wrote about this week, and again, if you follow me on Instagram, you saw this. What does God mean when he says we've robbed him? Does he need our money? No, but listen very carefully to what I'm about to tell you. We rob him from the ability to be God in our life. We rob him from the ability to open the windows of heaven over our life. We rob him for the ability, from the ability to bring super into our natural. We rob him when we don't honor him by putting him first. So yes, as most people raise their hand, money is a big deal. And that's why Jesus said, you can't serve both God and a spirit of money. You've gotta make your money bow to a kingdom growth mentality that says, here's what you're gonna do, dollar. You're gonna do what I tell you to do. I I'm not gonna do what you tell me to do. And if you'll live your life like that, watch this. You'll go from having to work to make money and God will give you revelation where your money will make money for you. That's your future. I said, that's your future. Your money is gonna make money for you. Is anybody interested in that? That's what happens when you give into the kingdom. So I wanna invite you today. I don't care where you are financially. I care, but you understand what I'm saying. It doesn't matter if you're rich or you're poor. Jesus saw this woman, and it's, it's become known as the widow's mite. It's a famous story. And she gave her what she had. And Jesus said, hey, disciples, come over here. You know what she gave? She gave more than everybody else because she gave it all. And yet God didn't ask her to do that. She just decided to do that. But he said, because of that, her story will be told forever. When we give, no matter where we are in the spectrum of finances in our own life, we give God something to work with. And today, I've already prayed, but we are breaking the back of a spirit of mammon over your life. Materialism, a poverty spirit, anything that's holding you back. Because God promises, if you will, prove, if you will trust me and prove me in this, I will. This is God now. Open the windows of heaven over your life and pour out blessings on you that you cannot contain. And oh, there's another bonus. I'm gonna rebuke the devourer on your behalf in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Whew, how many of y'all received that? Thank you, Lord, for your word. Just every head's out and every eye's closed. You would be misguided if you think this was about money. It's about mindsets. And believe it or not, how you do money is how you do relationships. How you do relationships is how you do money. How you do money is how you do your life. How you do your life is how you do your money. How you do your money is how you do your relationships. How you do your relationships is how you do your life. See, it all works together. And you'll either do it under the spirit of God and be directed by him or under the spirit of mammon. So if you're here and you say, Keith, I want everything about a spirit of mammon, even if I don't even 
after hearing you talk, even if I don't understand it all, I want everything about a spirit of mammon broken off of my life totally today. If that's you, I want you to stand up right now. Stand up right now. I want any, any, any residue of that spirit, anything that's poverty mentality, anything that I feel like I've been lacking in, anything that's made me feel better than somebody else, anything, any thought that I've had that if thinking if I could get more money, I'd be more important. Those are the kind of things that we're going to break off today. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to just offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to God right now. Come on, just lift up your hands. God, we offer ourselves. Don't let us from this day forward miss anything that you have from heaven for us. Nothing Nothing on this earth is worth missing your super into our natural. So God, today we acknowledge that you are able to do exceedingly. I receive your exceedingly. Come on, just say that. I receive your exceedingly. You're abundantly, put abundant, say abundantly, abundantly. Above all I could ask or think, say that. And now Lord, according to the power, come on, say it, according to the power, that works within me. I don't just hear your word, but today I take action. I will never be the same. Jesus, be Lord of my life. My money, my relationships, my business, because it's all yours anyway. Be Lord. I honor you today in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to our channel on iTunes and YouTube. That way, you know when a new sermon has been uploaded. Also, if this message has impacted you and you want to contribute to help us reach more people, feel free to go to elevate.life forward slash give. We look forward to seeing you here next time.